Welcome back to the Snowling Podcast. This is your host, Gordon Van. Today's episode, we're going to be talking with Milt Reimer. Milt is the CEO of uh, FXR, and what a tremendous success story uh, from a, a racer, motocross racer, snowmobile racer in uh, Winnipeg, Manitoba, and uh, built this huge uh, clothing empire. Um, and is now you know globally recognized as uh, as one of the best in uh, in, the, in the global uh, power sports industry. So, uh, co-hosting with me today is uh, Hal Armstrong from Snowgore Canada, and uh, uh, we uh, we cornered Milt at the uh, Duluth uh, Snowcross National in uh, Duluth, Minnesota, and um, a little bit noisy off the start, but uh, we get down to business, and uh, and Milt discusses the. Uh, the whole building of uh, the FXR brand. A tremendous story. you got to listen to this. Uh, remember, you can uh, follow us on all the uh, social medias, uh, Facebook, uh, Twitter, Instagram, and just uh, search Snowbling Podcast. And um, like the page, like the uh, Snowbling Podcast Facebook page, and um, you can follow us on SoundCloud. SoundCloud is a, is a great platform for listening uh, this, this uh, podcast and uh, you can follow us on SoundCloud and uh, on iTunes too. Uh, just search uh, Snowling Podcast on, um, on iTunes and uh, that's a tremendous uh, platform. Uh, it's, uh, it's huge uh, and I'm getting a, a lot of listeners uh, from there. You know, we're, we're up to several thousand downloads of these podcasts now so great, uh, great doing it and, and a lot of fun to do. Get to talk to uh, great people just like Milt. So hope you like this. Here's Milt Reimer from FXR. Take it to the limit one more And, uh, but, you know, and, and it started in, uh, just basically in a small little office room in the basement, and, and we did business out of there uh, for seven, eight years, and, 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 and just grew from there, but just never saw this coming to this scale. So you built the, the, the original prototype clothing uh, models all, all yourself? You designed them yourself? I did all the designing. Yeah, that's what I started doing, was, and I still am very heavily involved in what, what we design every day, but the... We had a manufacturer right in Winnipeg that was doing some fairly technical snowboard wear, and I didn't even realize that we had that type of, of, of abilities and manufacturing right in Winnipeg. And one of the, the, the manufacturers was a company called Modern Headwear. I thought they did hats, but they did like Mac tool jackets, Freightliner jackets, that corporate industry was really big in those days. And, uh, and they also did some really technical snowboard gear. And they saw what I had to offer, and... and and they they worked they partnered with me in developing it, and and then all the orders that were placed went they produced them and and, uh, and they actually financed production of the product in the in the early years, and then uh, when the dealers would pay I'd get paid. 
So you, you started ra- racing yourself. You're racing motocross, and you're also heavily into snowmobiles, too. Um, did, did you see a need for a, a different type of snowmobile wear um, that the others were not uh, you know, giving us? Uh, like- yeah, for, absolutely. From two fronts, we were, uh, as a rider, and starting to race, especially cross-country, is two, two-and-a-half-hour races, and you would just melt to death. Because everything was too, it was either fitted wrong, but it was heavily insulated or even lightly insulated. I didn't realize at the time that on the start line on a cross-country race, you needed to be freezing. And you had to dress and just with a shell and a very light layer underneath. And then as your body temperature, your core temperature comes out, up, you had to be able to control that with vents so that you didn't overheat, oversweat, lose all of your uh, fluids. And then you start to bonk at the end of the race. And, uh, and so I was able to actually start winning pro races and not wasn't training at all. It was just working, wrenching on the sleds, running a dealership. But then in the ability to manage my body core temperature throughout that race, so I was doing it for personal gain as a competitive edge over my competition, and it was working. And so out of that is where I was really enlightened. And uh, Okay, so... It was in the uh, late 80s you started, uh, mid-80s, that you started uh, FXR, right? No, no, 90, 96 was the first year of production, Thanks. and I started development in 1994. Oh, yeah, right. Okay, yeah. so I'm thinking back to those days, um, you would go out, and I think the premier snowmobile suit at the time was Rima. Yeah, right. Absolutely. And so you go to uh, you know your local uh, sales place, and you know for Rima suit, but a lot of money. One of the things I think with FXR is is the price point. It's it's really nice equipment, but it's reasonably priced that the average snowmobiler can afford it. How did you how did you manage that when you were starting out? Did you look to have a premium apparel suit, or were you looking to go more to the masses? That's too bad. Um, yeah, absolutely. We were looking at that. Remo was a fantastic company, and uh, they set a really high standard. But the interesting part was uh, um, that I knew that you had to create a product line, not just entry level, and and uh, but make it technical and have all the features and benefits that a, a rider needed, but be in that the total, the largest segment of the industry, which is the mid-price point range. You know, and that, that was our key to our success, was not overpricing, overstepping, um, what you can actually, what the customer can afford to pay, and then always trying to deliver more features and benefits with that product, that the, and, and a function and a user experience that, that the customer continually was very satisfied with the end result, because I knew that the customer, that that's the word of mouth, that they're your best form of advertising. When they continually have a better user experience with your product, it just grows and grows. And you, I had to create a dealer model that was profitable. Because number one is that if the dealer's making a profit on your product and it's helping get customers into his store and the diversification of snowmobiles fleets, everybody was like complete Articat or complete Polaris, com- complete Skidoo back in the 80s and 70s. They're so brand loyal, but I could see a big shift developing just like in motorcycle. And in motocross, you saw that all the OEM branded clothing went away in the 80s and it all went to the aftermarket. And I felt very strongly that if I could find the right name that sort of had a broad reach that I could reach out to a lot of people like the motocross crowd was doing and, and the Foxes and Thors and that have maintained uh, um, a marketplace position for a long, long time. So, and I loved how they added value to the sport, that racing was so pivotal and that's where we started. And, uh, and so when you bring that racing enthusiasm, you build a brand around that. 
and then from that you can transcend that and and when you can push that out to the customer to the dealer and you stay you're always sponsoring race teams and you stay right front and center with it you're giving back you know so much in, in a percentage wise we, we spend far more on racing and marketing and just in general than most companies would at our scale so all of that is it's incremental steps but it's really about a passion for the sport for racing and for the people in it it's a fabulous family I, I, I think uh just to hit on your point was is that snowmobiling is an expensive sport so like you if you were a Polaris or an Articat guy you get all decked out in their gear and then to switch brands yeah. now you have that added expense of a completely new suit so you know you being able to recognize that you know you can jump ship and still wear your clothing was probably uh, you know a really smart uh, it was obviously a, a you know in hindsight a really smart move um, the FXR name where did it come from it's pretty random, actually. We still have the scrap of paper where we were just writing down names. And it was so difficult to uh, to trademark a name because everything you picked was already trademarked yeah. you know, in one capacity or another. And, and I knew that acronyms and I, AXO had been really big in motocross and Ricky Carmichael uh, was a, a pivotal rider for them in his day. And I could see that the acronym could work, so it just became... We started just throwing acronyms on a page and just going, like, what has the most strength and, and the broadest range of appeal? And FXR was one of them, and it just slowly grew. And then we go, that that sounds solid. And then we just created the name Factory Extreme Racewear was the original concept. And then it turned into, basically, it's just FXR Factory Racing. And the X is for motocross, snowcross. Yeah. It's everything extreme. So it's a generic title. It's, it's a very generic, yeah. Mental. But the soul is a passion. Yeah. The X and the R, are, yeah. they're always, they're strong. And uh, so it's kind of, it's just a gamble. The name is huge, but I knew at the time that the name was really pivotal to really get that, uh, that brand awareness and to get a brand strength. That if you pick the wrong name, you can do all the right work, but the equity in the name doesn't carry far enough. And I think we got really lucky there with, with the, the choice we made at the time. Okay, we, we, we see we see a lot in uh, in, sn- in snowmobile and motocross. You got some uh, uh, great support in the motocross teams now, and in Canada and U.S. Um, but what has surprised me most is I'm seeing FXR at Bass Pro now. Uh, you know, uh, uh, you're you're hunting with at Cabela's. Cabela's, Cabela's, sorry, yeah, Cabela's, and uh, in your hunting wear. Um, great move uh, on, on that part, uh, and, it lo- and the stuff looks good. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, that one was kind of. Uh, one of those areas where just diversification, you know, the snow market is only so big. And it was just sort of a natural. We acquired a Realtree license. I had a friend of mine who was selling a lot of product to Cabela's. And we sort of just married the two together. And, uh, and that's the interesting part of that is where it's going the, the, is that the Realtree has sort of, uh, it, it's plateaued. Um, but the side that we're really excited about is ice fishing, which is really a it's the fastest growing winter sport in North America right now. Is that right? It has massive participation by wow. everyone. Yeah. You know, and, yeah. and fishing in general, and I think it's almost synonymous with country music. This is an analogy I make a lot of the time. You know, back in the day when I was racing moto, like everybody was just headbanger music. You know, and it was, and now it's like everybody's listening to country. And country is a really family-oriented kind of music genre, and their artists are very accessible. And I think that it's the same way that our athletes and and uh, and our brand and our people and our team too, like just being accessible and being real and being part of it. And that's exactly what country music does, and it connects a lot of people together. And uh, so it's kind of just a that part with outdoor really connected there and resonated well. 
And uh, almost everybody in country music, it's like 75, 80% have ATVs, and it's almost 40% have snowmobiles that uh, in the outdoor, like of Cabela's customers or Bass Pro customers. So there's a huge crossover rate there that, that understands what we're about. So... Uh, and uh, talking about ice fishing, uh, FXR just released a brand new uh, floater suit, and uh, so we've seen the, the, the new video of that. Uh, you can uh, go on fxr.com uh, and, and check out that video. Fantastic little video, and it looks like a, a, a standout product. I mean, uh, the, the demonstration that you guys did was fantastic. Talk about the, the new floater suit. And that, and to talk about new. It's like we've had that technology now. It's going. It's well over ten years, and and. It was one of those things, and especially down in the U.S., the dealers didn't like it, our sales reps didn't like it, like a floater suit just had a bad name, bad image. And we worked really hard, and that same suit, that, that it's the team jacket and pant combo that's actually used in that demonstration, and that's its eighth year in the market, And uh, and but we've used it prior to that. So and we didn't even re- recognize the response off the video was phenomenal. We had a, over a half million views in the first 36 hours, and the... Um, and so many people were writing in and emailing us or texting and Instagramming that they, their dad had been saved by the floater suit. Like, we found all these stories of, of, uh, of the product actually having this life-saving capability, and it also keeps its insulation properties once it's wet. So, uh, so there's, there's a phenomenal upside to it, and every kid's piece we make has that same fast flotation safety assist technology in it. So every jacket and pant that we sell for insulated winter outerwear has it in it for kids. And we've, you know, and, and what mom and dad, like, like what are kids drawn to? Open water. You know, and it's spring, and with especially when you have a late freeze like we're having this year again, and you get partial frozen lakes and, and or kids playing pond hockey. You know, as, as people, we're trying to create this awareness of that risk, you know, and, and there's always bad stories. Everybody knows somebody who's gone in or had a close call, and uh, with our suit, you just pop to the surface. You can't even stay under. And even our, our boots provide buoyancy. And we put a lot in the pant because the pant is really critical when you get out of the water that there's big drains in the bottom that they empty the pant leg because each pant leg can hold about five gallons of water in it inside between the lining and the shell and now you're dragging that out on the ice and it, so it's always trying to get out in the end that that is really the difficult piece and so our, our pants and our boots offer that kind of extra boost and shed the load so that you can get out quickly and then when you stand up the jacket at, at the bottom of all the hems there's big mesh inserts too that just dumps the water yeah. so that and then you got and then you have to start moving and we also are merino base layers that we make merino is the only prop or product the the sheep's wool that actually maintains a large percentage of its thermal properties when it's wet. So when you combine the two together, you have enormous, uh, enormously improved that experience if you do go into the water. And we had guys that two guys posted they'd been four hours. Guy had been before he got back to a warm up hut, and the other one was six hours before he got back. So okay, we're going to finish off this interview here in uh, in uh, it's a bit more quietness uh, in uh, at uh, Duluth. Uh, we're still talking to uh, Milt Reimer, uh, CEO of uh, of uh, FXR. So Milt, manufacturing uh, your suits, it must be pretty tough in this. New in this day and age, in in, in really North America, uh, with producing a quality a quality outfit, um, how do you how do you get around that? How do you stay competitive? Yeah, that was a key we figured out early on as we started production in Canada, and uh, the dollar collapse, and I think it was 01, 
with uh, with 9/11 was very traumatic. Obviously, the entire globe and the economy, everything shifted. And from at, at that point, we already were doing a little bit of overseas production, and uh, so then we moved a lot of production overseas um, as as good manufacturers were chasing us. So the opportunity sort of just dropped right in our laps, and uh, and we did that with several years with uh, with a few different agencies. And but I quickly recognized the the margins that they were demanding were were not going to work, and uh, so we established our own. Uh, we have an agency, FXR Korea, in Seoul, Korea. We have a head office there. So we're one of only, I think, two power sports companies, us and Fox, who have actual a presence in Asia um, all year round. And we have our own sampling facilities there. Um, we purchase all our own fabric supplies, zippers, trims, everything. Um, right from that office and then we have an office in, in Vietnam and all our heavy winter sewing is done in Vietnam and FXR Vietnam takes care of all the day-to-day um, logistics inside of the factories as, as FXR Korea orders the supplies it gets shipped to Vietnam and then the Vietnamese team takes over and then our team of, uh, of professionals from our office also join them and, and travel out to both Korea and Vietnam and then work collaboratively with all three teams and the factory, um, everybody working together to do the execution. So we're we're competing against North Face Columbia for factory time and, and place and 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 North Face will throw a Bible at them, you know, two inches thick of all the don'ts, and we instead put people in there who show them how to do it. And so we'll take factories and we'll actually improve their ability to sew because we put professionals with them and improve their productivity. And our product, the, the, and it, FXR is known for this, we have the most complex sews of all the product brands. We have the most stitching, the most artwork, um, very complicated uh, cut and sews. And so it requires real people knowing how to assemble it, knowing how to make those factories efficient. So it's, uh, it's highly, highly intensive work. But uh, it's what's been able to help us keep the price point where it is and to be able to over-deliver on the product's abilities and features. Was the move to uh, offshore manufacturing, that? how did that uh, link with uh, getting into helmets and uh, more hardware, I'll call it, as opposed to software goods? Uh, how, how, did the, how did the helmet... Uh, they- yeah, they both happened simultaneously. We started to get into helmets and, and all of those things. It's really interesting, you know, over the course of its 20-some years now, that that as you're in the industry and as you're working with this vendor or that vendor, you also get introduced to many new ones. And you really, and, and our big asset is FXR Korea on the ground there and their ability to vet different suppliers and know who are the best ones to work with. And, uh, and so you find a really good glove supplier, but you have to try several and you have to see who can actually deliver the product and work with them to improve their products. Um, because they, everybody in Asia in gloves and boots, they will sample these amazing pieces and then production, it's, it's completely different. So that's where the, the quality control piece is so important. And it doesn't matter which vendor you work with, you have to travel there, you have to see what they do and how they do it and understand uh, if there's going to be problems ahead as you start to scale. And, and what leverage they have to improve their own abilities versus, uh, you know, they, they may be tapped out. And, and it's, it's in their business models. It, it'll identify itself. So we are very strategic as we partner, and, uh, and we give people chances. We never, we rarely, uh, you know, we don't, how should I say, you know, where the large corporations really find companies and they really hold them hard. We still, we, we're known for paying our bills, you know, the Canadian way, you know, like 
say sorry the, the polite <laughs> Canadian way. It's a, it really resonates globally. They, they love working with a group of Canadians. It's honestly true. It's everywhere. And in Europe, it's, we're so respected for that. You know, and our American friends here, too, we have... Canadians just have a synergy and an ability to work with everybody. everybody. And, uh, and that's the really cool part is to be flying the Canadian flag when you're abroad. And, uh, and the respect and straight up love you can't believe it when we're in Norway Sweden Finland Russia that's a good point like you know, the, uh, the FXR brand I mean I'm looking around here at Duluth here and it's obviously the most popular suit that I can see primarily from the colors is the FXR name really identified as a Canadian company still or is it kind of lost that uh, that uh, is it more like a generic type it's a global brand. Yeah, global. yeah, it's a global brand, yeah. yeah. There's a lot of, like, even in Winnipeg, there's a lot of people think we're an American company. Right. You know, and there's, yeah. a, there's a lot of confusion, and, and then there's a great deal of pride, and Cabela's in Canada really helped us with that, mm-hmm. that under, helping people understand that we were Canadian. And uh, so at the end of the day, it's, uh, I think Canada's sort of, uh, we're that small player. We don't intimidate everyone, but there's an enormous respect as being a northern country right. for that we know cold and we understand. Snowmobiling is, period, the coldest sport on the planet. Mm-hmm. A North Pole expedition is not colder than snowmobiling. Everest is not colder than snowmobiling. Nowhere do you get 40 below and minus 40, whatever it is, and 100 miles an hour. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's like you're, you know, you have frostbite in milliseconds at, at the wrong time, you know, and the. And, and where it puts you situationally where the sled can go now, and then when things go wrong and, and uh, that you've got to be surviving in the cold and all of that. So it's uh, so is there a point with the company where it gets too big? Like you're talking about you know expanding into ice fishing and hunting, like you're into that now. Um, I mean, there, there's lots of other markets out there that you could go into. Is there a point where you want to keep it... You know, a little smaller, or do you want to just yeah, manageable is a good word, or you know, where or is this thing just parachute or you know, snowballing out of control? To to an extent, it is, but it's you can only scale as your as your team scales with you, you know, and that that's what determines the outcome. And and when you scale too fast, um, it takes the fun out of it. You're working far too hard, but there's you always will have those growing pains. But like our hunt fish thing is just a small part of what we do. Like we really, our motto is scaling. And we're really enjoying that and thinking that there's there's uh, it, it's a great platform because it's it it's promotion year round that it's both it's it's everywhere and you're again we're supporting racing and racers and which is my passion and uh, that resonates with all my guys and I have a ton of my design team has moto background it's it's more accessible than snowmobile racing motocross is is far more affordable and. Uh, and you and and motocross racers in general, they they understand suffering and and uh, in terms of injuries and training hard and working towards a goal, mm-hmm. and uh, and and they're very results oriented, and so that's you know they share that passion with me, and that that's the totally the cool part. So as we scale, a lot of it's just keeping we, when you do what you do and you do it well, it just continues to grow if you want it to or not. You know, and it's and we never we have never looked at a number and said we want to be a fifty million dollar company or a hundred million dollar company. Okay. We just look at let's do our business and do it right, and then you deal with what the outcome is. And when you do it wrong, um, admit your problems. We're never perfect with our gear. You know, we're always striving to make it better. And you want to keep it affordable and and uh, manageable for family budgets and all of those things. So you're you're just trying to stay real in all of it, and it's it's a life experience and. 
and I push hard. No one's going to say otherwise. It, right. They they know it, but it's but it's really interesting. That's the biggest part of it is getting the people that I build that I've built around me, the team that we have, and how they also impact the people around them and it's a big family and it's just a culture and it's a community unto itself and it ma- it mixes so well with racing and power sports and everything that we do so that's that's the fun in it and, and you it goes where it goes so but our core is racing that could be one of the big successes is you're still having fun it's not uh it is a job but it is uh you go into work with a smile on well, your he, face he's, right? he's still here at the races yeah, yeah and, that, and that's what's really cool <laughs> how many ceos are here from you know other companies today in, in duluth uh, just and, and just to say, it's like it's a job, but it's a hobby. Yeah, it's an out of control yeah. hobby that has you know, elements sure. of a job, but it really teaches you so much. There's so you continually, and I've seen this uh-huh. through the years. Like you have to reinvent yourself every few years. You really have to push yourself to grow, yeah. and as different situations occur, and and the people around us too, and that's what everybody wants to get a lot of their. Uh, their value that they're adding to something and that's what with our staff and our, our group of people where when they feel good about themselves at the end of the day uh, and your family here at the races and everywhere and your dealers and your reps when when things are all moving in the right direction that that's really what we're looking to achieve in all of it just to mm-hmm. to have a have, have great friends and family and share it with them uh, Mill, is there is there any kind of technology right now that's coming up uh, that fxr is looking at uh, without uh, giving your proprietary Secrets. Is, is there some kind of technology coming that uh, we might look forward to seeing in the in the future? Something that you like? Uh, there's there's a lot. I I have a lot of things in safety that I would like to start pushing forward. Um, concussion injuries. I've had so many myself. Uh, you know. So within helmets, you know, there, there's a, it's been great to see 60 and and MIPS and there's a lot of, of movement in the right direction. And we're going to be we're developing some new ideas that could take that next level beyond that. And I really don't like the idea of proprietary protection there i want to see open platforms because it's about people's heads you know it's not leveraging something for financial gain it's doing it for the right reasons and integrating that technology and that's what i like to see that mips is doing and it's it's just a anybody can put it in their helmet um but it it you know but cold changes things everything gets harder in the cold and we're working hard to find better safety solutions for cold weather impacts um, body protection for that. You know, the chest injury kills more people than the head injury. Your chest is far bigger than your head. You know, and and uh, and isn't doesn't have the armor of your skull. So there's there's things like that um, inside of our best technology. Almost like fast uh, with our flotation is uh, is our ACMT, our advanced climate management technology, which is basically two layers of waterproof in a lot of our garments. And two layers of waterproof is like a two pane window or a dual lens goggle. It is far more effective at com- combating condensation. And condensation is actually the larger problem inside a jacket than actual moisture vapor transfer. Mm-hmm. And so that's where we have a, a very unique user experience in the garments in that when you even just have a pure shell on, when you're just standing there, it's warmer than just a, a shell jacket when ours with the ACMT because there's a small layer of air trapped inside. But when you're moving, you can exhaust vent uh, everything out. And, when, and the upside to ACMT is that that the inside membrane, just like a two-pane window, is slightly warmer than the outside one, so it reduces um, the it, it the it increases the temperature. It changes where water no how should I say vapor turns to water on a lineal graph, 
at a certain temperature and a certain humidity index, it will always change from water to, or from vapor to water and from water back to vapor. Mm-hmm. And so the more you can keep it in a liquid state and then have it become a vapor again, you can exhaust it out of a jacket. So condensation in a jacket isn't a bad thing, but when it turns to ice, which is almost all, it always will happen no matter what the temperature and whatever the technology. But we, ours turns to ice, it takes a colder temperature to do that with a two-layer system. Just, just like you can't make a single-lens goggle as fog-free as you can a dual lens. And it's fog, condensation, that's the far bigger problem than breathability. And that's part of the secret recipe of what we have. Mm-hmm. And, it's, and we've marketed it for years. But it, it, people can relate to that. Yeah. So how do you how do you learn how do you learn all this stuff? I mean, you just uh, got very technical there. Do you, you do the testing yourself and and learn this and or and develop you, yourself? Absolutely, it was accidental in the beginning because we made jackets um, with two layer waterproof systems, and it was we were always embroidering so much on the outside of the jacket with our decorations that it was impossible to seam tape that all from the back, and the thing became so rigid. So I started just always running a liner inside, or just making a waterproof liner and seam taping that. And then Snow West, back in the day, that we'd have these jackets that they were using. And they, 10 years later, and they're going, they're, Milt, I don't understand this. It's such a comfortable experience. And that product wasn't even breathable. It was only waterproof with zero breathability. Wow. But with the vents and the dual-layer system, there was a different user experience. And, uh, and, and uh, Dave from Snow West would tell me, this stuff works. We don't know why. Yeah. And, and it was repeatable. It didn't, like a lot of waterproofs, they get, they'll, after five uses of really wet conditions they'll saturate and then they lose their waterproofing and this sustains it and and it's a it's a double layer barrier and you know the outer layer even if it's not entirely waterproof sheds 99 percent of it making the inside layer have to work not nearly as hard so there is at the university of manitoba you must know that that uh, hypothermia yeah uh, you know, if there's a prof there that's yeah. world famous, right? Doctor any, or Popsicle any, or whatever yeah, his name any, is. Yeah, any work with them? Yeah, or? we've done a little bit. Like, yeah. we've had some conversations, and he, yeah. he, he tried to stump me on a bunch of things, and uh, we had some conversations about a year and a half ago. And then I, my guys were trying to explain how ACMT worked. And then they, he just was shredding them. So then I walked into the room not knowing what they were talking about, and I just jumped in and started correcting my own people because it is a complex... Uh, it's pure physics how it works, right. and it's complex trying to explain the benefits. Even really. with yeah, exactly, yeah. even with our own reps, yeah. you know, they'll sell it for the wrong reasons. Yeah. But as we started to even understand, say, a dual pane window, right. you know, and why is a triple pane better than a dual pane? Yeah. It would actually stand to reason in a jacket the same way. If you did three layers of waterproof, you will improve again the level where it'll take longer before that that vapor will turn to liquid, and when it's a vapor. The trick is then your exhaust, your venting system can remove it. Mm-hmm. When in a liquid state, it cannot. You know, so it's, it's very simple. You know, it has to first move from a liquid. And anybody, any user, I don't, what Gore-Tex you're using, if you tell me you stay totally dry in your jacket, it's, you can only do that if you don't sweat. Yeah. Because when you sweat, that comes out as a liquid. Then your, your base layer now has to, the base layer is made to actually change that surface area so that it can turn into a vapor right. again. And so you're going to be wet. There's a window where you're going to be wet. And then only over time, with venting or moisture transfer, can you dry off. Mm-hmm. So when a guy says, I'm just totally dry, all day long, no, you're not. Then you did nothing. Yeah. You dig yourself out when you're stuck. You cannot tell me that you didn't sweat. Yeah. And so that's where our system, too, like when you ride after that, and we can keep it, at a, we can keep it as a vapor longer because of the dual-layer system, so you can exhaust it out quicker, and then you, you can dry off faster. Right. 
And so we're engineering that same kind of Gore-Tex level of performance, but doing it a different way. And just with Canadian ingenuity, you got to figure out how to do it. Yeah. So what what do you like as a base layer underneath your clothing? I mean, because I mean, some people they're, they're still wearing blue jeans. Yeah. It's probably the worst thing to wear. And uh, absolutely, you mentioned you mentioned merino wool. I mean, I, I I use that a lot, and I love the stuff. What what do you like under your garments? Yeah, same. Typically, I'll ride with a fifty fifty merino, like a, a polyester polypropylene base with a with a blend of merino, and mostly that's just because it's cost. The pure 100% merino is so expensive, and it's expensive globally, and uh, and so that the blend of it actually has some some performance advantages in that uh, if your skin is sensitive to the merino, which merino wool isn't nearly, it's not even close to as itchy as normal wool, because the fibers are so much smaller and softer, but uh, at, at it does increase uh, a blend works great and uh, and makes it uh, very user friendly but the biggest thing with merino it has so many wonderful properties it even has fire retardant properties wow. natural fire retardancy it has it's antimicrobial antibacterial so a merino piece at 50% you can just throw it in a gear bag you can leave it in there for 4 days wet and pull it out and it doesn't stink it's almost like magic you know and 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 100% merino they say not to launder it even with everyday use more than once a month it just doesn't, it never smells it's just an interesting phenomena and uh, I'm so, a fan of the icebreaker brand. I'm wearing it fabulous. Myself. Yeah, 100 percent merino, stuff. and it's yeah. uh, it's. I think they use the New Zealand uh, merino wool, yeah, and yeah, it's yeah. Uh, yeah. it's a fab- fabulous commodity. And uh, but yeah, you know, it's interesting that that there's nobody with a synthetic um, chemical compound that can that has the performance of merino. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, racing suits. Um, you're doing. It looks like you're doing a lot of custom suits here for some of the the teams here. Um, is that is that a bit of a challenge for manufacturing? <laughs> Massive. <Yeah. laughs> you're laughing. The race team collides uh, with their deadlines, you know, right before Duluth and everything that's going on. With also with our next year's development, the product that we're launching in in August and September. So it's it's uh, that it just requires massive hours and manpower. But we're now um, doing a lot of in-house production of the race jackets and will be pants as well, and and right here in Canada. So that's the cool part is we're actually introducing Canadian sampling um, and uh, and small run production capabilities over the next couple of years, at very race team specific. So and and working with the racers, you get we're throwing new ideas at them all the time and really stretchy fabrics, and we're able to really. It'll be. It, it's really going to impact what we're offering this year, next, and years following, and uh, that's the fun again. Racing, they push it to the limits, and uh, and we're making some interesting discoveries with fabrics that are so lightweight and so stretchy, and yet they survive massive crashes and have hardly any damage to them. So, uh, and the riders are just loving it. That, that kind of attention the, to the detail, all of it, is pretty cool. So, that's great. Well, I think we're good. Uh, Milt, yeah. I, I really appreciate finally catching up with you. I mean, you're a huge <laughs> Canadian success story, and uh, so I've been trying to get a hold of you for uh, for a while. But uh, great talking to you. Love your stuff. You're looking good. Um, you look, still look happy and, uh, and, and still uh, still have fine time to uh, talk to everybody. So uh, thanks a lot for talking to us. Thanks a lot, Gord. Really yeah. appreciate it. Thank you so much. Yeah.